Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. As part of our duty, it has to be about helping people develop to the next level. And so um, in the industry, there's many times that we don't have time to kind of take the step back to see what else can we do to set this person for success. I think this is the time to do so. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. If hosting this show has made one thing incredibly clear, it's that teamwork, data, and resources will be what help us thrive post-pandemic. Understanding that, Yelp and I have created a cheat sheet, offering insight into consumer behavior, popular trends and free tools and resources to help you get open and stay open. You can download that guide at joshcopel.com forward slash resources. Didn't write that down? There's a link in the show notes as well. What are the best investments you can make in your restaurant and in our industry? Eduardo Rallo is an investor in restaurants, in restaurant tech, and in people. In this episode, we explore his winning strategy for seeing and seizing the opportunities out there. We begin with his first investment in his very own restaurant. I try to make sure that I remember kind of the, the naiveness of when we when we started Well Wraps, because I think sometimes in this industry that's necessary, but at the same time trying to come out come in from the get-go with a business model. And so, you know, the story about Well Wrapped was really that it was my three best friends and, and me that uh, we had pretty much decided that at some point after each one of us uh, did our, our schooling, that we were going to come back together and do something together. And uh, that that desire to work together and all of us really big foodies and, and people that really just enjoy international cuisine uh, we got together to brainstorm different concepts and what we could do together. And we came up with this one. We had come up with all sorts of crazy little ideas. But anyway, this one still felt a little bit aggressive. At the same time, it did feel that it was something that we could start with little money. And, you know, at, at this point, you know, we're talking in 1995 and we were able to raise $250,000 uh, between ourselves and friends and family. And, and it was enough not only to open up the first restaurant, but to also kind of have some operating cash flow to make sure that that we had enough to figure out what, what was going to happen with the concept. Uh, my point related to the naiveness was that I think at that time, everyone we would tell the story of what we were trying to do in terms of creating this new category, which was kind of like the international burrito, let's just call it. Um, there's so much negativity we got. And I think if I think about some of the things we did at the beginning, if we had been in an industry and had been doing this for a while, we probably would not have done it. And uh, so there's times that I do think that it's important to push the envelope and to just try to make sure that you just do not take the nose for the answer and that you you uh, you really go through kind of the process of, of digesting and proving and, and whatever. But anyway, long story short is it was a, a good moment to to open and we opened the first one in San Francisco on Chestnut Street, which was a very popular spot during that time. 
And uh, from day one, we pretty much had our, our our rates online. And so it was an 800 square feet little location. And through that being, you know, 20 some years old and, and getting so much attention and so on, it was it was overwhelming. But I think as a group of four that we still are best friends and we're each other's uh, kids, godparents, uh, we had committed that this was an entity that we would let be and so that none of us will become someone that was irreplaceable or that would stop the growth. So since the beginning, we agreed on the roles that each one of us was going to have. And at the same time, that there would be a moment that we would need to bring in more experienced talent that could help us develop our dream. And our dream definitely was to make sure that it was a multi-unit uh, concept that, that had the opportunities to have legs. Um, we learned a lot through the process. Uh, we ended up getting a tremendous amount of interest from people coming and seeing us and wanted from, from franchises to investing and so on. And I, I would tell you that, that I do think we were lucky, yet again, naive, that we ended up getting a, a venture capitalist at that time, which uh, his name is Jamie Shannon who um, had been the first board member for Starbucks, for Jamba Juice, and uh, de definitely felt that it was the right person that was willing to kind of come in and, and venture with us. At that time, they had never done growth capital for something that was just so early stage, uh, yet they felt that there was some synergistic components related to other things that they were doing. I'm not going to tell you that it was the easiest process, you know, at the end, you know, it's, it's always uh, kind of changing that mindset from being an entrepreneur with being able to decide everything that, that needs to be done within your group or friends or, or you uh, as, an, as an entrepreneur and owner. Once you bring in uh, outside capital, you're signing it for a certain path. And so yeah. that, that, that's a, a very, very, very important component related to at the moment that you decide to bring capital from the outside specifically institutional is no longer your 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 baby right very but was there decision. some benefit to that i mean did they oh, bring no, no, no. value yeah. outside of money don't get me wrong he, he brought a trim they brought a tremendous amount of, of value tremendous during that time uh, but at the same time um there were a lot of pressures related to uh, how quickly we had to grow, how, you know, many different things that we had to do that I would probably not have been as aggressive in some instances as we ended up being. Uh, again, at the end, it, it ended up being the, 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 the right thing we did. I think we learned tremendous, uh, the four of us learned a lot of stuff about the industry and about venture capital and so on. And when we were able to get to an exit uh, that felt like it was something that either we we stayed on on board and were just willing to ride along it or it was an opportunity also to exit and do other things uh, that's when when we we did decide to 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 uh, uh, for us to um, to exit uh, but was that the goal from the beginning you, it was the goal there was definitely not the thought that we were doing this as a lifestyle or for any of us to control it forever but mm -hmm. I think it happened faster than I expected it, quite honestly. We were working 7 a.m. to 1 in the morning every day. So when it happened, it, it felt right. But I will tell you, it, I'm, again, I told you at the beginning, I'm a pretty positive person. 
And I think that's probably the one time that I would tell you I got depressed by, by kind of that thing of saying, why do human beings, when things are good, you need to, to, to change, you know? And so, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, during that time, it felt like I was, you know, letting my baby go. Uh, yet it, it was the right thing. And, and through many different reasons, it was the right thing. And quite honestly, um, it's, it was the age where um, if I had stayed in the industry just as a restaurateur, I, I would have stayed just as a restaurateur. And so this gave me an opportunity to kind of recreate uh, myself as, a, as an investor and uh, uh, really embrace the components of having been an operator and understanding how difficult it is to pay payroll, to motivate people, to all mm-hmm. the things that you know how difficult it is in the industry. I felt I could see eye to eye with with entrepreneurs. And so I do think that my transition to becoming an investor was uh, very uh, valuable because of the fact that I did understand how difficult it was the other side. So again, I think there's luck in, in, in the path. And, you know, fortunately, right after that happened, uh, it was when Open Table was starting. Uh, we got to meet Chuck, uh, which was the founder of Open Table, who had the idea. This is Keith, my business partner from my, my fund that we created, which was a small fund that was some of our monies and, and some uh, friends and family. And, and Open Table start, became our first investment in, in our fund. And so uh, through that, we stayed in, in tech, uh, but very much continued to be interested in uh, in uh, the industry, the hospitality industry, and that ended up becoming kind of our, our first venture to really kind of figure out how to help bring talent to a technology company that had kind of this complexity of technology and brick and mortar. Who drew you to Again, that investment? Why open table? You know, we really liked uh, the founder, and at the same time, we felt we had a value add. Uh, in terms of understanding the industry and also kind of understanding the ecosystem and the technology field here. And so at the end, again, I think it was a little bit of luck. And I call Open Table our 10-year overnight success because despite mm-hmm. the fact that it was one of our most successful exits in my fund, in my first fund, um, it took uh, a tremendous amount of, of uh, work and repositioning and, and so on. But I, I do got to give to, to the team. And, you know, we were the ones that helped bring the first C- CEO, which was Thomas Layton, which was um, a classmate of Keith, uh, my business partner. And so um, it was it was great to see kind of the paths that that the company, you know, took and, and how we help kind of connect the dots. And I think that's that most importantly, I think that was what we added value was connecting the dots. So anyway, as, 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 as you saw in my bio, you know, from, from that whole experience and, you know, through being an investor, uh, we had um, other interesting opportunities to, to see companies grow. But then I was missing the, the part of impact. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I've, I found an opportunity to get involved and raise a fund that was a brick and mortar investment fund that uh, was absolutely focus on financial return, but the second and, and just as important component was job creation and quality of jobs as a second, as a second return. So mm-hmm. uh, because of that, obviously, we were investing in, in a, a labor-intensive industry, so manufacturing, distribution, retail. And through that, you know, we, we did you know, uh, have uh, a di- you know, different investments in different, in different companies that have had mixed success. Uh, one of the ones that fortunately has been, you know, very successful is actually one that also was started by 
one of the co-founders of World Wraps, which is Pacific Catch. And so Pacific Catch, uh, we've been lucky to have grown in in this last uh, seven, eight years. Uh, and, you know, we just, right before the pandemic, we closed up to a pretty significant round of capital with uh, with a fantastic group of investors. So uh, the whole concept of, of the industry and just uh, helping uh, make sure that you structure things right where uh, hopefully by focusing on people and providing the right benefits and the right training and so on, you gain loyalty that hopefully also uh, creates value. And so I think it, uh, Pacific Hatch has been a good example that uh, being loyal to your to your employee base and, and, and developing from within really does pay off. But, you know, that really was a, kind of like the, 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 in, my, in my view, kind of my perfect uh, investment vehicle in relation to still be investing, still being uh, operating or helping on the day to day, but at the same time, not letting aside the importance of social impact. So that basically summarizes a little bit of my, of my experience in the, in the investment world. I want to go back to open table and and I want to talk about specifically innovation in hospitality. Over the last 15 years, uh, I'm sure we've both seen, you know, a exponential growth in point of sale technology and reservation management soft uh, technology. What do you think as an investor, as a guy that's looking for opportunities and, and, and has an eye for hospitality, where do you think the next big gold rush is? Where, where do you see opportunities for innovation uh, within the hospitality industry relative to tech? So it's a great question. And, and I will tell you that. So the part that I, I did not mention to you or, or did we not, you, you know, but we didn't get to talk about is uh, despite the fact that after World Wraps, I had absolutely sworn that I would never go back to the day-to-day of restaurant industry. As a family, we own four restaurants. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, so anyway, never say never. And it's an industry that I absolutely adore. And, and there's moments that I go, why am I still doing this? There's a lot of easier ways. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I just love it. And I love the everyday. We had a, a lease that was about to expire at Santana Row, which is a mixed use in Santa Clara. And uh, we were just signing a new, a new lease. And I thought that it was the perfect opportunity for me to kind of step back and, and figure out how important should technology be in the restaurant. And I had not been to the National Restaurant Association for uh, the, the, uh, the, what you call the show in Chicago for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to that. I did every piece of research that you can think of about all of the technology that was starting. And this is two and a half years ago, three years ago. And interestingly enough, there were still there start there were starting to be things, but there was con- there was continues to be this crazy disconnect between one thing and the other. You know? So I was just trying to figure out okay, what are the pain points of the restaurant industry? How I can help uh, the management of it be more efficient yet for the customers? How can we use technology to, to enhance their experience? yet to seem seamless so that they don't seem that they're in an automatic, you know, automated place, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and honestly, I was very surprised how little there was. And uh, there were a lot of stuff that was starting and so on, but it, but there were still, you know, crazy challenges. And many, many of the things that I was looking at, I wasn't sure I was ready to take the risk and be the guinea pig. The one thing that I was very focused on was trying to figure out how to find the right POS that I was already so fed up with everything that I had used and trying to figure out what was the POS that, that I thought could start integrating 
some of the other components that that we're not talking to one another. And mm-hmm. so I, I I'm I'm gonna do a little commercial for Toast, but uh, I ended up finding mm-hmm. Toast, and uh, I really can't tell you how much I have appreciated them in, the, in, in in what we're doing. Not only the handhelds were an important component of of speed of service. But being able to provide, you know, the payment, the payment on their table and just a number of different things that I just couldn't understand why they haven't been really big in the United States. Quite honestly, mm-hmm. I think I mentioned to you that I, I spent half my year in Barcelona. And so in Europe, you see that so much more as part of the, of the day to day. Basically, starting with that, that, that whole POS market really needed some innovation and really needed to be more open source. And so I, I think now you're starting to see more, you know, obviously not only Toast, but everybody's trying to figure out how they not stay behind. But I will tell you that I think that's an important part of what what operators need is to make sure that they have the right information and uh, and you know as much as possible uh, that that it can it could potentially enhance the you know the customer's experience. So POS, I'm fascinating to see everything that's going that's going on, and and finally, I think there's some interesting things out there. The components of reservations is going to be interesting to see. You know, what are the the new versions of of, of what comes out? I had a hard time letting Open Table go in my in my San Francisco restaurant, but at some point, it got to 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 be so expensive and so non innovative that I ended up uh, leaving. And, and that's when I actually got connected with the gel waitlist and reservations, which I really uh, was able to, to use successfully in terms of giving me, I immediately did see the, the impact, not only on my monthly payment, but also on the ability to capture the waitlist and the people that, that would normally not have gone if, if there wasn't that feature. And right. so you definitely are starting to see how everybody is, Trying to re, refig, refigure out exactly how how this technology reservation uh, component is changing, and I have been learning, you know, quite a bit in terms of how different is my demographic in terms of the need to have this uh, advanced reservations and having to go to a platform that has all of these uh, options versus now all the different tools where people kind of do the finding. And then it leads you to the reservation, but it doesn't. You're not going to the reservation portal, which I think is the major change that has happened. Eh? You have many jobs. You, you sit on the board of the Resmex Group that manages several restaurants, and, and I, I'm curious. And I, I think what you just said leads beautifully into it. What successful pivots have you guys made, and how are you changing the way that you do business in that restaurant group? So in that restaurant group, we have a, a bunch of very different concepts and so we have one in mill valley that is is very much to go and so uh, we were fortunate in that one that uh, through the pandemic uh, it was already a model that was relevant and we did see some uh, uh, opportunities to uh, to streamline some of the things operationally that were not necessary and uh, and then we actually learned to be potentially more profitable than we were before and mainly was kind of re-questioning everything that we thought was important to the customer and and then focusing on what we did find out that it was most important to them. And so that one had always been, a, a, you know, the majority of sales to go anyway, but uh, but we did got much more involved on on the platforms, on us doing our own, our own uh, uh, through Toast, being able to do uh, the, uh, their own orders and, and so on. But anyway, 
that one has had, had we had to adjust and actually i think all the adjustments allowed us to be more profitable but it didn't go through the ups and downs that others went we have one in downtown san francisco in union square which is still closed mm-hmm. and i don't see when we're going to re- reopen i i'm hoping that sometime in january february there'll be more activity in that area but right now it continues to be a ghost town so it would be the wrong thing to do. We are planning on starting a ghost kitchen there, which I'll tell you next. And so hopefully we'll reopen it with that, with that, and then wait until we feel that it's appropriate to reopen the, the original concept. We have the locations in Santana Row, which I think there we've been very lucky because um, I think uh, the design of, of the restaurant that we opened three weeks before the pandemic, very, very sought after when we opened because of the look, the openness, it, it has, it's completely open. Like the whole, the whole perimeter of the walls opens up. So it was perfect for this type of situation. But anyway, mm-hmm. before the pandemic, it was well accepted. And then pandemic hit, it was a little bit on the high end. We did very little sales. Uh, yet we said, okay, let's just try to figure out how we stay relevant. And so we did virtual concerts. We did all sorts of things, including in, in, incorporating a, a roll of toilet paper if you order your to-go meal with us. <laughs> Everything that you could think of and more. And it taught us a lot in terms of the positioning of, 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 of the experiences. And so we had another restaurant across the street that was more casual that is under remodel. And that one, we had the opportunity to do a menu that was much more simpler. And, and, and we would be producing it from, from the higher end restaurant so that we would only focus on one kitchen. And that ended up bringing a tremendous amount of sales. So it's interesting to see during this moment that what people geared to is more the comfort food and obviously they're more price sensitive. And so we learn how, kind of how to use the infrastructure we have in play to be able to do the best out of it and potentially provide the most jobs possible. So I kept all my management and I really try to, to provide uh, as many hours as possible to people that I knew uh, had, were going through the, through the hardest times of our team. But, uh, but there in Santana Row, the, 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 the streets closed. So we now have more seating outside that we had originally. So over there right now that we opened post pandemic, my biggest issues right now have been is helping people understand the importance on following the healthy rules. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. But, you know, like the, a lot of the times and I try to work right now every Friday and Saturday night when it's when are the big times just to make sure that everybody understands that it's in everybody's best interest to follow all these rules. If we want to have an option to still have outdoor outdoor dining. Uh, but I think people have kind of right now the, the need to uh, to express themselves a little bit more aggressively and uh, and a little bit more drinking and so on. So. It's been, I wouldn't tell you that it's been a walk in the park, despite the fact that we're very lucky to have the top line, uh, just just trying to help uh, the operation, you know, uh, uh, operate safely. It's it's an interesting challenge that I never expected to have, quite honestly. Well, and it seems like it also sucked you back into day-to-day operations, huh? Oh, absolutely. And, and by the way, and that's probably the, the most important thing, like I, I, as I said, it's an addictive industry. I, I have always <laughs> loved it, but I would choose when I would go and I would probably spend, you know, two nights a month uh, doing operations, which I always, uh, always appreciated. 
I, for the last seven months, I've been there almost every day right now, just try to reinvent and, and so on in one shape or form. I think we, by the way, I think we have the best team we've ever had. Uh, I think everybody is just, is just so excited and we, we recruited some new talent. Our, our existing talent was also kind of stepped up. So I'm very proud. I'm very happy on who we have and, and kind of we have bonded because of this, this, this need to reinvent ourselves. And, and through that, some great ideas came up. I had already been working on an idea on developing a, a concept that we were going to be having as a, as a second concept for each one of the restaurants using our three markets. And we're two weeks about launching it. So it will be our first ghost, ghost kitchen concept that we're going to present it with a pop-up that we're doing at the same development as well. So there's been a lot of really interesting things, but I got to tell you, I did, I did really enjoy kind of going back to understanding how I had to focus on every single one of the areas of opportunities mm-hmm. from purchasing that I had not really paid attention for a while. I, I, I thought I did, but I realized I hadn't to the level I had. And so, it, you know, as you know, we're, this is a penny business. And when, when things get rough, you don't have a choice but to go back and see what is exactly necessary. But the, the advice that I do give is you do have to be careful on how you do not caught too much where it starts losing the spirit and the feeling because when people go out they do want to feel that they're going to a special place so the attention to detail and that's what i keep telling you know my staff and i'm funny that you mentioned about the michelin star and so on so you know through my history i have really interesting interactions with with chefs that have been part of our team that i i just i'm trying to help understand that it's fantastic to get the awards, but it doesn't mean anything if there's not a business model. Right. And so h- how are you able from the get-go to present yourself, yet at the same time understand that you have to be cautious about what does that mean in terms of the bottom line? And so when we op- when we reopened Sasilas, an example, where we were expecting where we were going to do on a Friday night 300 covers, we were doing 700 covers. The problem with that is all those little details of the of the of the presentation of the flour with uh, with all the garnishes and so on had to be simplified for speed of service. Right. And the whole thing was, trust me, my customer is more interested on in getting their meal in the 15 minute interval versus the 45 minute interval and come out that 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 has the three extra garnishes you follow me so uh, so all those little interesting things to be able to how do you are able to provide an experience that is going to be fantastic yet just as important is how long it takes and 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 in that people you know feel that they're being attended to and so whew, it's been a process eh I think we're we're there, but it's it's just interesting to get everybody on the same page and understand how do you how do you develop an experience, and then even just on the hosts, you know, the hosts, for example, for me are where I spend a lot of time training them, because I said let's appreciate every day that we have the opportunity to have people wanting to wait for to eat with us, and so the moment that you look at them and say, oh, it's an hour, you know what? It, it's it it feels that you're d- d- not attached to what what their experience, and so it's like it's it's just as easy to say, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Fridays get crazy. It's probably about an hour, but if you leave your number, it takes you five more seconds of the explanation, but it sets a different tone that you care about that customer. And I think right now, 
we none of us can afford to to pretend that we don't need every single one of these customers and Absolutely. how to make sure that that those details matter the the importance of hospitality has really been highlighted uh through this time because i, I don't i don't think that the people miss the the food and the beverage that we provide through the industry what i think they miss is the human experience uh, that's provided agree. through the restaurant industry and hardship does have a tendency to breed both innovation and generosity and I think we've seen a lot of that through the last seven months as well. Um, have you seen anything out there that inspires you within your restaurant, within the industry? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, they, all sorts of things. Uh, by the way, I got to tell you that uh, some of the things that I get the chills, you know, sometimes just when, when I sit and I'm eating at the restaurant is watching so many of our team members and, and feeling like I know so much each one of them and how proud I am about their story. And so when you see some of the stuff that some of these people did during the pandemic, not only to feed their family, but uh, to help their community, we have a lot to learn from them. And so, uh, you know, through this process, uh, we definitely wanted to make sure that on who needed what, but uh, but I it, honestly, we learned from them rather than them from us. Eh? It's it's really amazing how communities can come together in the restaurant industry. You become a family, but uh, but I I also believe that there were a lot of really cool things that happened. Uh, I think during, during the period that I mentioned to you that was so tough related to um, barely any online sales or to go sales. Um, I did get involved with Off the Plate, which was an organization that it was pretty amazing how quickly it came together. But it was all this, you know, industry. I mean, people that that were interested in figuring out how they they impacted during the pandemic, and and a lot of people that have diverse experience from technology to corporate connections and so on. So they 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 created this organization, which I know there's a few of them that are in different states. It was to basically connect restaurants with donations, with feeding uh, the frontliners. And, uh, you know, we did, you know, over 2,000 meals, I would, I would think. And, and it was just really cool to watch, just, just, like, just that, like how all it all worked, from the donors to the, our team members putting that, the, how proud everyone was about putting these meals together and really wanting them to be outstanding. From the you know from delivering and the whole experience on the on delivering and giving giving them and then it got to the point where the where the hospital said guys we're getting a little too many it's like we need less than this and then figuring out other areas that could could need these meals so communities came together you know I I definitely still have you know a lot of a lot of faith and 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 that people care about the industry and that that people in the industry care so much about their community so it's been interesting to watch and then also also just watching some of the people when 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 we just opened how generous they were with some of our staff members that they had been loyal to and it, it just it just did didn't make you feel good that everybody understood that we were all trying our best to to make sure that 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 we did a, our two cents to help the industry survive and this is an industry podcast and at the end of every episode i like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience do you have any words of inspiration or advice you'd like to share? So I, I think I think for me the, the the most important thing right now is it's the people. I don't I don't believe I ever took took everyone for granted, but I don't think I realized to what level um, these people sacrifice so much to 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 be there and to help us 
drive the experiences that we want. So I think these are the moments where it is so critical that we look at our teams and we focus on how to develop our, our, our people and give them the, the next level of opportunity. And, and so I think that commitment uh, should be a much more important from a lot of operators to just make sure that as part of our duty has to be about helping people develop to the next level. And so um, in the industry, there's many times that we don't have time to kind of take the step back to see what else can we do to set this person for success. I think this is the time to do so. That's Eduardo Rallo. To learn more about Eduardo and his investments, go to pcvfund.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.